Don't you appreciate them? I do. I appreciate all you do. Yeah, give them a hand today. June 6th will be the 75th anniversary of D-Day. So this week we'll be celebrating the 75th anniversary of D-Day. And I, I, I see Jim Carsey back here. Jim, we, we talked about him a couple weeks ago, a, a World War II veteran. I went and saw Clarence this week, and Clarence is a World War II veteran. And appreciate those guys uh, that have sacrificed and served in all of our military. But, you know, as we draw close to 75 years ago, and, and Jim was talking about he was 17 years old. Uh, when he went into the military, and, and I think about D-Day, and I think about the events of that, and uh, I, I think everybody, I, I don't, I don't uh, advocate or I don't promote a lot of movies, but I think everyone should have to watch the first scene from Saving Private Ryan uh, to get some sort of appreciation of the sacrifices that these men went through uh, to, to, to accomplish that invasion. And when I think about it, they were 17, 18, 19, 20 years old for the most part. The commanders were older, but the guys that were fighting the battles were young men. And, and I, I think about Paul's admonition to Timothy to not let them look down upon you because of your youth. <laughs> and, and I think there's some, there's some, is that me doing that? How's that? That, that better? Uh, and so you, you who are younger, uh, you can do great things. And, and God uses you for great things. And, and so D-Day was 75 years ago this week. It was, it was called Operation Neptune. It's, it, it was the beginning of the invasion of Europe. It had been four years since Dunkirk and, 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 and the Allies had left uh, the European continent. And since they had left the European continent, of course, the, the USSR, the Russia, had become uh, part of the Allied forces. The USA had uh, become part of the Allied forces after the bombing of Pearl Harbor. And, and this was part of Operation Overlord, the, the European liber liberation. So there was more than just getting onto the continent. They wanted to liberate Europe from the Nazis. And, and Normandy was the largest seaborne invasion in history. <laughs> 5,000 landing and assault craft, 289 escort vessels, 277 mine sweepers, 160,000 troops on D-Day with close to a million troops by the end of June. Allied casualties on the first day was at least 10,000 with 4,400 confirmed dead and the Germans lost 1,000 men. I mean, this, this unbelievable, who's seen at least that first scene from Saving Private Ryan? It's just, it's just moving. You know, but that first scene, D-Day, was not the point. The, the, the point was not just invading Europe. The point was not just uh, being back on the continent. But the point was European liberation. But every mission starts somewhere. Today is Ascension Sunday, and next Sunday is Pentecost Sunday. And it seems appropriate, besides the fact that we're gathering as a community of believers next week, to continue to talk about this mission of loving our neighbor. And we're going to keep that up there. And several of you have come up to me and talked about your endeavors to get to know your neighbors better. 
Matter of fact, Terry Moore was, was talking to me this morning about a dog yapping at him and how that little dog, maybe, maybe our, whole, our whole missional approach will be taken care of by dogs. And he got to know his neighbor because of a yapping dog and introduce himself and have a conversation. Making the most of opportunities. And what I'm hearing from you is, is, is we're beginning to look for opportunities and when we see the opportunities, we're seizing the opportunities. We're not letting them pass by. Love your neighbor as yourself and love you see and love Union County and, and love Marysville. I am called. You are called to love your neighborhood. You know, the question I always ask is, what would happen if Jesus were to move onto your block? Seriously, what, what would happen if Jesus were to move onto your street? Okay, can I put you the rub? Jesus has moved onto your street. It's you. If you're a believer today and you're filled with the Holy Spirit, Jesus lives on your street. And I believe our Heavenly Father, through you, through the power of the Holy Spirit, wants to impact your street, wants to love your street. I am called to love Trophy Drive. <laughs> so think about your street. Now, I want you to say it with, you, with me. I want you to call out your straight, street name. I, I want you to say, I'm called to love your street name when I say it, okay? I am called to love Trophy Drive. You know, we don't need a strategy. You are the strategy. Well, we don't need maps and we don't need to color code. You're already out there. I, I am blessed by this ministerial association. Uh, you know, I, I've been involved in other ministerial associations and, and, and there's always good aspects of it. But, but there is a unity among the pastors in this town that I've never seen before. We genuinely love each other and we're not competing with each other. We, we want to see the kingdom grow. We want to see God's kingdom grow in Marysville. We pray for our community. We love each other. So next week we're going to gather. 8.30 service here and then Sunday school. But, but all of us, if I shake your head like this so you make me think that you are going to go with me, are going to go over together for 11 a.m. service. I believe, I, I believe with all my heart that God is up to something amazing in our church and our community. He, he's trying desperately to break through. But every mission starts somewhere. And ours begins in Acts 1. Acts 1, 4 through 9, gathering them together. He commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised. Which he said, you heard of me, heard of from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they come together, they were asking him, saying, Lord, is it at this time you're restoring the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, it's not for you to know the times or the epochs which the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the earth. And after he said these things, he was lifted up while they were looking on and a cloud received him out of their sight. 
That, that is what we are celebrating this Sunday morning. This is Ascension Sunday morning. And we celebrate that, that, that this Jesus who came and lived in the flesh has ascended into the Father in the flesh and now makes intercession for us before the heavenly throne. But in His ascension, He gives a mission or a vision for His church. I just substantially finished. It was like it was like drinking from a water hose. So I took a break from it. A book called The Fifth Discipline, and I think Bob Sorardi was reading it with me. And it's it, it's it's a lot of fun, isn't it, Bob? Yeah, it makes you think. And in the book, he says, "Vision should stretch us." And he says, think in terms of a rubber band, and vision is here, and present reality is here, and vision should operate as a rubber band and stretch us to something greater. Jesus, and what happens is typically we don't like that stretching, right? Right? You know, my personal vision is to lose weight, and we don't like that stretching of dieting and exercise, and so we cut the rubber band. Jesus has given us a vision which should stretch us as a church. That, that when we see the expectations of Jesus and we see what he expected of them, it should stretch us. See, see these, these weren't world changers. You know, they, they, these weren't affluent, powerful people. They were ordinary men and women like you and I. Fishermen tax collectors, just ordinary men and women. And he gives them this enormous vision or mission. You're going to change the world. You know, I, I have to imagine that they were thinking, wait a minute, you, you, is there somebody behind me that you're talking to? They're, they're not known for their compassion. They're, they're not known as great speakers. They're not well-known. They're not well-traveled. They've probably never even been out of the area. And Jesus says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses. And this is dying words. Martyr comes from this word, both in Jerusalem, in all Judea, and Samaria, and even to the remotest part of the earth. And Jesus doesn't say, you know, whoa, wait till Pentecost. You're going to have the greatest service ever. You're going to have the greatest spiritual experience ever. You're going to have the greatest worship experience ever. Jesus says, you will have a role. Boy, that was kind of, that was kind of aggressive, wasn't it? I don't think with you. Was that less aggressive? You will have a role in the advancement of my kingdom. Amen. You're part of the mission. Now, I've always seen this in a pretty traditional way. Jesus says, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria. And I've never heard it preached like this, so maybe I'm wrong, but typically I've heard it preached, and I've preached it as from the known to the unknown, right? Jerusalem represents the known, and Samaria and the outer parts of the world represents the unknown. 
But the truth is, the disciples weren't from Jerusalem, were they? So if this was from known to unknown, the logical order would be Judea, Jerusalem, Samaria to the ends of the earth. But Jesus says Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, ends of the earth. See, these weren't insiders in Jerusalem. They were outsiders. You know, it's, it's, why Jerusalem? It's, they're not going to go home without starting their mission. See, see Jew, Jerusalem is not about familiarity. Instead, it's about the immediacy of the mission. Jesus is saying, you are going to start now. You're, you're not even going to go home first, but you're going to start this mission now. Pentecost is 10 days later. And the, the, the disciples, the followers, there's 120 of them, they, they gather in this upper room and they do some organ, organ, organizing. I think next year when we elect church board, we're going to cast lots instead of have election. <laughs> they, they, they do some organizational stuff. They, they pray together. They make some decisions and they wait. They wait for the Holy Spirit to come. You, know, you think about the upper room, it's probably pretty comfortable, pretty much like this, right? You know, if it, got, if it got too warm, they'd go to Peter and say, hey, Peter, can you turn the air conditioning up? Or, you know, we, that's pretty comfortable in here. You know people, you know, no, no, nobody's asking anything of you. There's no challenge here. You know, together in a worship service, you know, God will challenge us through, through conviction. But for the most part, you know, we're, we're with people we love, with people we know, comfortable chairs. We don't even have those hard bench pews anymore. This is as comfortable as your living room. But when the Spirit came, when the Spirit fell, they had to go. How long could they have waited? After the Spirit fell, after Pentecost, how long could they have remained in the upper room without it becoming unbelief. How long could they have lingered in that great worship environment? How long could they have lingered in that sanctuary before it became disobedience? <laughs> you know, Pastor Jeremiah talked about the difference between between the, the definitions of sin and the Old Testament and, and, and then there's this ideal of just falling short and then there's this ideal of rebellion. How long could they have remained in the upper room and hid behind the ideal that they were inadequate? Before that became rebellion. See, hiding behind our inadequacies, inadequacies, hiding behind our fears, hiding behind our personality, hiding behind what's comfortable, if we linger long enough, I truly believe when God has given us a mission, that becomes rebellion. How long could they have lingered? Ignoring the mission would have been rebellion. Can we agree to that? 
that, that if they would have just stayed in the upper room after the Spirit fell and they, and they didn't go out and begin to proclaim, even though it wasn't comfortable, even though they didn't know the people, if they wouldn't have followed the, the urging of the Holy Spirit and left the upper room, it would have been rebellion. You know, upper rooms are great. They're comfortable. They're familiar. But ignoring the mission is rebellion always, ever. I don't care how spiritual the upper room is. I don't care how great the worship is. I don't care how great or terrible the preaching is. Maybe it's the other way. Well, I listened to that preacher and he was awful. Give me bonus points in heaven. To remain in the upper room and never engage in the mission when God has clearly given us the mission is rebellion. What's the upper room represent? I think the upper room represents spirituality that does not affect my outside life. That there's this, we, we have this unique ability as, as humans to, to put our lives, parts of our life, aspects of our life in different categories and compartments. So there's my church life and then there's my work life. And so I think the upper room represents this ideal that, that I can be spiritual and somehow it can't affect or it won't affect how I live in my neighborhood, how I engage at my kids' sports games. Oh, this is a hard one. This is a convicting one, but I'll say it anyhow. If, if, you gotta, if you're convicted, I should be convicted, right? How I drive down the highway... How I go to work. It's a spirituality that does not affect my outside life. It's a spirituality surrounded by what's familiar. It's comfortable. We can hide in our personality traits, right? We can hide in, well, I'm just so busy. We can hide, and this is, this is me, okay? This is God. God's working on your pastor. I don't know if you know that or not, but God's working on me. It's hiding our introversion. I'm just shy. You know, it's just, just the way I'm made. I'm just shy. And yet God's given even shy people, people even introverts, a mission and a vision that needs to stretch us from what's comfortable. It, it, it's spirituality that does not affect my neighborhood. How you doing? I mean, I, I keep bringing this up, and I'm going to continue to bringing this up because this was not a sermon series. This is a way of life. And, and I got to tell you, bad habits are easy to fall into, right? Good habits are difficult to develop. And if we're going to develop the, a way of connecting with our neighbors, we'll have to change and alter some of our habits. You know, that maybe no one else is like this. Maybe it's just me. Maybe God's just speaking to me. But it's so easy for me to walk by somebody that lives on my street without acknowledging them. 
right? Without, or, or, or the most. Why not? Hey, Frank, how's it going? You doing good? Anybody else like that? Is it just this pastor that, that sometimes I can get so caught up and doing, going through the motions and doing the things I need to do that I can walk right past people? And I've got to change my habits and the way I perceive and, and, and what I do with opportunities. Are you moving from stranger to acquaintance to relationship? You know what I'm finding? And you'll find this too. That there's people that God's opening doors with and people where doors are closed. <laughs> and I honor that. I, I, I do what I'm supposed to do. But, but when those doors are open, I'm far more attentive to those doors being open now than I ever have been in my life. It's a spirituality that is satisfied with simply experiencing spiritual highs. That's the upper room. The upper room is, hey, they sang a song I liked, I felt good. Emotionally, I felt good. Praise the Lord. Church is good. And that's all that matters. Did, 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 the, did the pastor tell a joke that made me laugh? Unfortunately for you folks, that doesn't happen very often. You know, did, 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 did the message use enough Greek? It's a spirituality that is concerned with spirituality for its own sake. God does not give us spiritual experiences simply so we can achieve spiritual highs. God gives us spiritual experiences so that we can engage in the mission which is a lost and dying world. I hope you heard that. That wasn't me, okay? I don't often say this as a pastor. That's not in my notes. That was God speaking through me right there. Your spiritual highs are not just so you can feel good about yourself. It's so you can engage in the mission that God's given you. Several years ago, we, I was at Tri-County and I was an associate. And, and um, we were, me and Jeremiah was talking about this because, um, uh, shoot, I can't remember his cousin's name that was here the week before. Somebody, the year before. Somebody help me. Chad. Chad was having revival services where they were praying at the altar till 11 o'clock. Nothing wrong with that. Okay, that's fine. If God's leading that way, follow God. Uh, but, but I told Jeremiah about an experience I had with a young guy that we, we had prayed for about an hour. And we were praying and we were praying and we were praying. And finally I looked at him and I said, listen, we can keep praying. But there comes a time when what we're praying about has to be lived where you live. You've got to simply be obedient and faithful. God's spoken. You're not looking for an answer. You know what the answer is. It's time just to live the answer. <laughs> see, see we, we judge. I, I, I don't judge worship services by how we feel in the midst of worship services. I don't. I judge worship services by life change. I preached several years ago on forgiveness in a church. And I thought it was a great message on forgiveness. And the next week I got an email from somebody that said, hey, you know, when you preached on forgiveness, it made me realize I really need to let this person know how rotten they were and how much they hurt me. 
And so I sent them an email. And, and, and I got to say, as a pastor, I'm thinking, I, I didn't preach that. got to live it. He said, well, pastor, we've got to wait for the Spirit. Ten days. Pentecost was a one-time event. It's once. The Spirit is available. I'm afraid it's not about waiting for the Spirit. It's the Spirit is waiting for us. See, we can't stay in the upper room. You know, there's a personal challenge to me. I believe God's calling me out. I think he's calling some of you out. But I know he's calling me out. Have I been too comfortable in the upper room? Sunday night, as walking Kobe the evangelist. He's more extroverted than me. And I'm deep in thought. I, I, I'm praying. See, I, I'm weird, and you know that, but I'm weird how I work through sermons. I have stuff down. I have things. But, but, but I, I'm not good at just sitting at a desk, am I, Stephanie? And, you know, I'm always going and doing. And, and so I'm, I, I'm, I'm deep in thought about my sermon Sunday morning, and I'm working through this. And I'm working through this ideal of Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and all those things. And it's deep in my mind of how do we, how do we become more engaged in our community. And I'm, I'm deep in thought walking Kobe and I hear out of the corner nice doodle and I'm deep in thought and I went another 20 steps deep in thought thinking about how can I be more engaged <laughs> don't laugh you guys do the same stuff and I stopped I stopped and I said, what is wrong with me? And I traced my step 20 steps back. And we had a conversation about dogs and about life and about how long we've lived here. And, you know, I may never have another encounter. You say, well, pastor, you didn't lead him to the Lord. No, but I'm convinced about this. If we want to lead people to the Lord, we need to build relationships first. What did Maxwell say? People don't care what you know unless they know that you care. I believe more than ever, we live in an age where people are going to have to know you and see you and see how you walk through life before they begin to accept Jesus and the possibility that he has a role in their life. And what I'm finding with many people... I'm just in these beginning stages where I'm getting to know them and they're getting to know me. We're moving from stranger to acquaintance to relationship. And it's in the midst of relationship that God will give us opportunity if we're faithful to Him. How long can we hide in the upper room? How long can I hide in the upper room? How long can I hide in my introversion? You guys... Um, if you've never read Bonhoeffer, Bonhoeffer is spirituality shaping. I, I tell you, he is, particularly when Bonhoeffer begins to write from prison, and he's dealing with all that he's going through in prison for doing the right things, and he sees how corrupt 
the German church is, Bonhoeffer is amazing. He writes, Transformation is found not in an inward turn or a turn to the otherworldly, but turning oneself out into the world. <laughs> in other words, it's not about worship services and just personal ties, but we are transformed when we begin to engage in the mission. He said, Christianity is not the religious relationship to the highest and most powerful and the best being imaginable, but a new life and existence for others <laughs> through the participation in the being of Jesus. In other words, as living vessels of the Holy Spirit, living like Jesus, there's transformation. We no longer strive to reach the infinite and unattainable, but the neighbor who is within reach in any given situation. Christ is no longer simply an object of religion. He is the Lord of the world. Thus, the place of worship and prayer, the secret discipline, is found in the reality of the here and now. I was reading through my notes and reading through... So it, it, it just blew my mind how, how close to where we are Bonhoeffer was. Can we admit, can I admit, that oftentimes I'm, I'm more satisfied with the, the inner and the otherworldly than being engaged in this world? See, I don't want to preach. I don't want to preach from the upper room. Right? I heard a preacher one time talking, he was teaching a class, he said, you know what? Preaching, you know, being a preacher is great. Anyone saying this a bad way, I, I don't, don't, you know, I'm not belittling a good guy, lo love the guy, but that's the truth. It's God all the time. <laughs> you, you know, you know, I, I, I shouldn't have workplace conflicts, right? Because I work with preachers. You know, I'm engaged in your life, but I'm engaged in your life as what? Pastor. You know, I go somewhere and I hang out, and who am I? Pastor. And so to a certain extent, and maybe other preachers don't have the same problem, because this isn't for everybody, but I don't want to preach from the upper room. I want to preach from mission. So God's been leading me. Since M19, God's been challenging me with this idea of working part-time somewhere. I like to work. To be honest, I like to work. I enjoy it. Tammy, your dad's my hero. Uh, you know, Bob, Bob had surgery, and like a week and a half later, and what was he, 82, 83? How old? 88. He's 88, he's back out on the mower. That's who I want to be, right? I want to be that guy, and that, this isn't for everybody, but I got to tell you, I want to be that guy that's 88 and out working. You know, my dad cut hair until he's 80 years old. And, and I, I want to do that. One of the reasons I want to do that is I see all you guys that retire, and then you start working for the hardest boss you've ever had your entire life. Amen, men? They don't cut you no slack. But I want to be out there. And so... <laughs> I am the new part-time assembler at Lowe's. That's right. You see me at Lowe's. See me at Lowe's. You know, it's, it's not the church hadn't demoted me or fired me or anything. 
I, I saw you guys' son. He was looking at us getting orientated, and he was going, what? What's pastor doing there? And it was funny. I went to the interview, and you know, there was like three things. I, wanted to, I really wanted to be on the, on the, the, the flooring, an assistant there, because I want to do flooring at the house. <laughs> and so, <laughs> but they didn't give me that. They gave me the assembler. I went back, and, and I saw the assemblers. It was a bunch of old guys that assemble stuff. And I thought, oh, that's how you see me. You see me as the old guy tinkering with the mower, and and uh, and so I, I'm 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 there now. Some we'll see how this works, but I just feel God's calling me out to mission, to know. You know the problem with working at Lowe's is I see so much stuff there that I'll probably have to get a part-time job to afford my part-time job. <laughs> Ryan is already trying to get a discount from me. See, there's nothing wrong with the upper room. The upper room's necessary. We need these times. We do. But these times are not the point. You know, we have a great time together. We worship together. We laugh together. I, I, I love this church. We can laugh. You know, we, we have a great time together. You love each other. You, you, I think you love your community. But the mission is not the upper room. The mission is lost. And the question I'm going to leave you with is this. Have you settled for an upper room spiritual experience when God has called you to his mission? I don't, I don't say this often. And anytime God speaks, it's important. But I honestly believe this may be the most important message I've ever preached here I, I think it's significant I think God's up to something and I think he's inviting you and I to be a part but I'm here to tell you that it will not happen in here it'll happen out there so we'll give you some space um, Man, that was a 25-minute message. That's pretty good. Give me a hand for a 25-minute message. Yeah. But that leaves you some space to talk to God. And so we're, we're going to bring lights down, and Clint's going to put some soft music on and uh, give you an opportunity just to, to speak with God. Our altars are always available. We believe in altars here, and altars are significant for this reason. I think you can meet with God just as easily in your seat as you can in an altar, but in an altar, what happens is when you stand up, you're kind of making this faith proclamation. You're kind of saying, God, I'm expecting you to do something now, and I'm going to come forward and receive it from you. I'm going to take the first step. And so altars are important, and maybe you need to bring a neighborhood up. Maybe you need to bring... Maybe you need to bring direction up. But we're going to wait for a few minutes and Pastor Bob's going to close us in prayer.
Thank you, Holy Spirit, for dealing with us where we are and not being satisfied to leave us there. Thank you for this time when we can, in the beauty of your sanctuary and in the the joy of your presence, you can speak to us with challenges. That you can open our eyes to see the mission. That you can purify our hearts from all that would rebel because of the nature of sin with which we were born. You can empower us to do what we could not do ourselves. Great is your faithfulness, O God. Father, I remember being in a sanctuary and leaving and over the door as we exited the sanctuary it says you are now entering your mission field may it be so do you be the glory for the great things that you've already done but greater things remain we want to be part of what you are doing instead of trying to get you to be part of what we are doing. Bless Marysville and Union County because your children are allowing you to work through them. Hallelujah. And all God's people said, I will. All God's people said, I will. There you go. Go in peace.